If you're at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, say amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is one of those books It's very difficult to teach without the Old Testament because the whole chapter brings the Old Testament in. And so we're going to take a look at that. It's good to see you tonight. Amen. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. How does that speak to you, church, with the opening of something like that? I would not have you be ignorant. What's he saying? I'm taking away all your excuses. Now, I got called ignorant when I was a kid, but it didn't mean the same thing. The apostle was saying, I want you to be in the loop. I want you to have knowledge of something. I want you to know how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Why is this type and shadow important? Because in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 38, you still have to get under the cloud. And you still have to pass through the sea. John chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us the same thing. You've got to be born again of water and spirit. Cloud and water. Spirit and water. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Except a man be born again of water, spirit. He cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. All of our fathers did eat the same spiritual meat. They did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Boy, if we had time. These were men that lived under the cloud. Passed through the sea. Ate of the same spiritual meat. Drank of the same spiritual drink. But many of them, God was not well pleased with. Think about this. They all had the same teaching, the same miracles. Every morning, when they opened up the tent door and they looked outside, there was a miracle laying on the ground. They didn't know what to call it, so they said, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? Every day they looked out and ate, what is it? And it was enough for them six days of the week to eat of that manna. And on the sixth day, they were to take double and to rest on the seventh day. It was the plan of God that was set in order from creation. It was the Sabbath plan of God that man would be taken care of and would toil through the week and would rest At Shabbos. Every one of these people were brought out of Egypt. The great hand of God reached down to them in their troubled bondage and brought them out of Egypt. Rested on them mightily. Provided for them. And when they complained so much about what is it that the Lord finally got sick of it, he sent them quail. 
Now, folks, that right there would be an incredible miracle. To wake up and walk out of the tent door and quail just be heaped up. And I'm talking about when they started busting the breasts out of that quail, they didn't have to pick any shotgun shells out of it. It was the hand of God that blew the wind into their camp in the night. And he took care of them. He blessed them. Yet we find that an entire generation was raised in that wilderness experience and did not know the Lord, nor the wonderful works which he had performed for the children of Israel. How is it that in a 40-year generation that you can wake up every single day with the provision of the Lord laying outside of your tent door and your children never know that it was God who provided this for us? How can you eat quail? And the Bible said still picking quail out of their teeth. When they begin to gripe and grumble and complain that they would rather go back to the leek, the garlic, the onion in Egypt. There is always going to be and there always has been that drawing spirit of Egypt. That will cause a man to forget how good God's been to him. That will cause a man to forget just how far the Lord has brought him from. I don't want to sound tonight like I'm beating a dead horse. But I really, in my lifetime of being in ministry and involved in the church, I've never been able to quite figure out when we're going to learn from the cycle of history that if you do the same thing your fathers did, you're going to get the same results your fathers got. And the principle that I want to get to your spirit tonight is it's incredible the transformation that happens in the mind and the life of a person when God brings him out of Egypt and does a work in their life. Egypt being type and shadow of the world and before God. And the hand of the Lord rests on them and provides for them. I've seen it happen when people come to God and don't have two pennies to rub together. Don't have a job, don't have nice clothes, don't have a house, don't have... My mom used to say it a little bit different than that. She'd say they don't have a pot to use the restroom in. That was the nicest way I could say that. She'd say they didn't have a pot to use the restroom in. Come to the house of God, get filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Baptized in Jesus' name. Didn't have $10, but they paid their tithe on the 10 that they had. And God began to bless them and multiply them. And before you know it, boy, they got a job. And before you know it, they got some nicer clothes and got a different house. And the Lord took care of them and provided for them and never complained about the goodness of God. God bring them out of the muck and the mire of sin. Never one time complaining when they walked into the convenience store about how expensive those cigarettes were. Never complaining one time when they walked into the liquor store and said, Man, y'all going to keep jacking the price of this drink up that I love so much? Never. Just walk in and grab the bottle, stick it down in the brown bag, and never complain about it whatsoever. Never, ever, ever knocked on the door of their drug dealer and said, Hey, I'm getting sick of you raising the price. But all of a sudden when they come to the house of God and God cleans them up and they start doing well 
and God blesses them, puts his hand on them, then they realize it's going to cost them something if they're going to do something for God. They start complaining to the provider about how much it's going to cost. Woo! I didn't expect nobody climbing the wall and biting the ceiling just right here in this point, but just stay with me, okay? We're going to swim right here in the shallow end of the pool for a little while tonight because God wants to help somebody. It's incredible how God can be so good to us and bless our lives and turn us around. We get cross-threaded with one man or one woman in the church. We get cross-threaded with somebody. They didn't shake our hand. I know pastor saw me. I know he did. He looked me right in the eye. He walked right past me and didn't shake my hand. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, what a rotten man he must be. My wife can testify to you that just because I'm staring you in the eyes doesn't mean I see you. truth I could stand before the Lord Jesus Christ right now at the judgment throne and tell you there's not one man or woman or child in this church that I couldn't stand before the throne of God with you tonight and tell you that I love you deeply but oh my goodness you just let somebody get a little cross-threaded with the church you let somebody get a little cross-threaded with a brother or a sister And all of a sudden, all of the wonderful things that God has done for them, they'll be standing there still picking quail out of their teeth, the blessings of the Lord out of their mouth. But where there was just a moist bite of quail and blessing and provision, there is now dripping bitterness from that tongue towards a brother or a sister. And we begin to make statements where the blessing of the Lord had just rested that I hate that person, I despise that person. I wish they would leave. I wish they wouldn't bother me. I don't like that preacher anymore. I don't like that church anymore. That's exactly why David said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's a difficult thing, though, to stand back as a pastor and to watch people as they chew on the blessings of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord and the favor of the Lord. And then all of a sudden something shifts in their life and that taste of his goodness is replaced with something else. It's like when the enemy gets a hold of our minds, we don't remember anything about the backlashing in Egypt. Don't remember anything about the slime pits in Egypt. Don't remember anything about Building pyramids in Egypt. Don't remember any of that. Don't remember being fearful for our lives in Egypt. It's like the enemy has a way of putting the taste of leek and garlic and onion in our mouth. Think about this with me if you would. How much taste was involved in what they were doing. For God promised Abraham a land that flowed with what? Milk and honey. And in the wilderness... He put food in their mouth. But in moments of ungratefulness, they began to reminisce about the tastes of Egypt. You ever have anything in your life, I could start naming things right now that'd make y'all so hungry you'd be spitting on your shirt. 
You ever have things that your grandmother made and just at the most random time you'll be driving down the road and think, oh my goodness, what I love to have. You write it down in whatever journal you keep right now. I could eat Martha Washington's till I puke right now. Nobody could make Martha Washington's and divinity, pecan logs, nobody. I don't care who they are. Nobody can make caramels like Sister Bingham. I think about them often. But it's at a rare time. I'd just be driving down the road and think, oh my goodness. I'd love to have one of them sandwiches that Mamaw used to make me when she was doing my, I mean, helping me do my school. <laughs> you just have to know the inside joke. My uncle Mike believes, and we'll stand before God for this, believes that my grandmother did my school for me. He thinks I ought to have given her my cap and gown. It's incredible how all of a sudden, just at a random time, the taste of something will come to your mouth. Does that happen to anybody else? Yeah. I was on the phone with my dad. Um, I don't remember when it was. Night before last, maybe. We started talking about food. And he said, your mouth's watering right now, isn't it? I said, yeah, I got a little cramp back in my jaw. I can feel it. You know how that happens? You just feel that little cramp in the back of your jaw. Like, I can taste that. Well, I want to tell you. There's a reason for that. The things that you develop your taste for, you can tell somebody uh, you're going to give them spinach and they'll start gagging. Tell somebody else that loves spinach you're going to give them spinach and they rejoice in that. You learn to train yourself. You train your taste to like certain things. I'll never understand somebody that doesn't like fried bologna with the edges just a little bit burnt. See, I'm helping somebody in this house right now. It's working. You throw pimento cheese spread on a piece of wheat bread and that fried bologna, you have just entered into something that will blow your ever-loving mind. But there is, there is a little principle that I learned a long time ago. When we started doing mission trips overseas, they would say, don't bring candy to these kids that they can't get at home. Don't bring things to them that they can't have access to because they're not in the states don't bring them Hershey bars that they can't get there because they will acquire a taste for something that they cannot have I want to tell you tonight that we as the body of Christ there may have been a time in your life that you would have turned your nose up to Sunday morning Sunday night and Wednesday night in church there may have been a time in your life that you would have turned your nose up to paying your tithe but once you develop a taste in your mouth for the goodness of the Lord, you're not ready to blaspheme against what the blessing of the Lord has done in your life. But I've had times where I'm trying to straighten myself out. I, I wish he was here tonight so I could pick on him. Kevin Johnson posted today. Brother Kevin sits to my right. He posted today. He said, he said something to the effect, this is a bummer. Uh, apparently you have to eat healthy more than once to get in shape. I've, I've been in seasons of my life where I'm trying to do good, and I feel like the old apostle, when I would do good, evil is ever present with me. Right? And so while I'm eating off of a vegetable tray and, and, and broccoli and carrots, somebody walks in with Mississippi mud pie. The devil is a liar. 
They walk in with that Mississippi mud pie and you can just for a moment while you've got that smelly broccoli in your mouth, your mouth starts to water and you think, oh my goodness, I would love to have that soft layer of goodness and puffiness and heavenly gobbledygook as it comes on that spoon into my mouth with the chocolate and graham cracker and pecans and whatever else it is you put on there. You understand what I'm saying? It's the inability to be content with what you're tasting right now. And the Bible said that our fathers, the Lord, was not well pleased with them. Because while the blessing of the Lord was on their tongue, while the favor of the Lord was on their tongue, while the drink of the Lord was on their tongue, they were saying, oh, but I wish I had a bite of something else from Egypt. It's a flashback to the way that it used to be, but the enemy has a way of overriding in our mind the power of what it means to be true with the blessing and the favor of the Lord that's in your life right now. I, I fear that one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual growth in the kingdom of God is that we try to merge our relationship with God into our lifestyle. It's like we try to take those two worlds and bring them together. I'm going to bring God into my life. Uh, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the saying you hear all the time, uh, I, I, made, I made Jesus the Lord of my life in 1993. I made Jesus the Lord of my life in 1987. Do we realize what we're saying? I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. What's that mean? Because I'm not just about accepting Jesus as my personal Savior. I want to know, does Jesus, my personal Savior, accept me? What that really means is, I invited the Lord to take part of my life and to come do what I was doing. But I still want to call the shots. You can't have your cake and eat it too. We don't merge God into our lifestyle. We don't fit the house of God into our lifestyle. When we start living for the Lord and we accept Jesus, it must become a lifestyle all of its own because those two worlds are always going to be contrary. There will always be a contradiction of those two worlds. Listen, you cannot buy into the church and buy into the world at the same time. If you believe that, say amen. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 21. We're going to hop around the chapter for just a minute. 10 and 21. If you have that for me, guys, I want to, I want to show them tonight. 1 Corinthians 10 and 21. Let's read this together. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Y'all, I don't even have to preach that. We don't have to break this down with expository teaching tonight. This This is Bible truth. You are causing conflict in your spirit. When you come to the house of God and you sit down at the table of mercy and 
You chew on his goodness and the fat of his favor. And oh my goodness, how good is God? And we throw around the jargon. How you doing? Praise the Lord. God bless you. Good to see you, man. How blessed and highly favored. And we walk out of here into our workplace and we start talking things I can't say from the pulpit. What's up, man? What's going on? How you doing? Man, good, man. You won't believe what I did last night. You won't believe what we did yesterday. You won't believe where we were last night. Can I, can I teach to you for just a minute tonight? Can I tell you, you don't have to do a whole lot to sit down at a table. It doesn't take a whole lot to sit down at the table of darkness with the enemy. It really doesn't take a whole lot. It takes one moment of distraction to move your mind off the good things of God and move your mind somewhere else. I'm telling you tonight it can be as simple as sitting down in front of a television. And in a moment of distraction, that one-eyed devil's got you sitting down at a table with some things you shouldn't be sitting at. And then you wonder why when you try to break into a season of prayer after that, Have you ever got down to pray? Ever? This is so crazy. You ever got down to pray? And as soon as you kneel down to pray, you think about something you forgot. Yeah? I'm not the only ADD in here. You kneel down to pray. And, oh, my goodness. I forgot to text so-and-so back. Yeah? Oh, my goodness. I forgot to send that email back. Somebody shout intentional. If you're going to sit at the table of the Lord, you've got to make an intentional effort to make that happen. I, as if distraction's not a, a big enough deal. Uh, I, I pick on my wife all the time because she'll be in one conversation with me. I don't know how she does it. She can be talking to me, and I'll even look her in the eye when she does it. And whatever the girls are talking about in the back seat, she knows every word they've said while she's talking 100 mile an hour. And she'll leave my conversation and get in their conversation and then tell me what kind of car just drove by. She's giggling because she knows it's the truth. And I'll say, squirrel, squirrel, there it goes, chasing them old squirrels. It is so easy to get distracted, but I want to tell you something. I'm not, I'm not standing up here to harp and get on soapbox. I'm not here to hammer, but I understand. We've talked about this a lot. Back in the day, people used to get up and they would preach against TV. But TV was never the problem. The heart was the problem. Self-control was the problem. It was the inability of man. Listen, let pastor help you with something. You cannot legislate morality. We cannot stand in this pulpit and preach you holy. It is a decision that you've got to make in your life that those are holy people. I want to be holy. He's a holy God. I want to be holy. But one of the greatest tools that keep us from pure holiness is distraction. And this is one of those tools. I was thinking about this the other day. I, again, I'm not going to harp on this and stay here forever, but I want you to think about this. I got to think about the, the, the old, time, old time preaching. And they'd get up, Brother Jordan, they'd say, you don't need to be watching TV. 
Well, here's the truth. Back then, TV was not a necessity to have. It was not a, it was like, it was a joy thing. It was a pleasure thing. If you could afford a TV, especially if you ever got one that had the three colors on the front, because that meant you could actually see colors. I mean, anybody here ever remember having to get up if you wanted to change the channel and go click, 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 and then you got down there on the bottom one, click, 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 click. Well, the it's crazy, right? Ain't nobody, ain't nobody in here remembers having to rewind the tape before you took it back to Lee's video. And if you were good, you had your VCR and a rewinder. Y'all remember that? But it was not a necessity. And so preachers would get up and they'd preach about, you don't need that in your house, not a necessity. So listen, now, you can do everything and a billion times more that you did on a TV now on your phone. But mixed with the pleasure of the phone, there is the necessity. Well, I've got to have my phone or people can't get in touch with me. So it's a necessary evil. So what the enemy did is he took something that was not necessary, that was a distraction, and said, well, let me make it necessary so that you've always got it with you. Am I helping anybody? I'm not, I'm not preaching against having a phone. God knows that tonight. Lord, have mercy. I think I might start. I like that idea. It would be amazing if you actually had to wait for somebody to get home and listen to your message before they called you back. Wouldn't that be something? This is the devil and the devil is bad. Plug it in at night. It's right by your head. If somebody needs you at 3 o'clock in the morning, they got you. If they need you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they got you. It's tough business. People say it makes us more productive. I would, I would beg to differ. I would say our level of productivity is not as high as it could be if we set parameters in our lives. Because the important things, can I just, can I, can I pass you right here for just a minute? I hear people say this all the time. They say, you know what, I think, I think we need to go to one service on Sundays because we need more family time. Let me tell you what family time consists of. Huh? Your kids upstairs in the house texting you downstairs. Sitting at the table with your family. Somebody prepared a meal and nobody's looked at each other's eyes the whole meal. Now I'm not trying to jump out on a limb, but I want to tell you the Sabbath would fix that. It would fix it if you take time and sit down with your family. Do you know what that? Do you know what that whole Sabbath thing is all about? I know this is modern times. You know what that whole Sabbath thing's about? They sit down at the table with their family that their wife had prepared that day because she had planned on having a meal with their, their kids. They sit down at the table and they open up the Word of God, and they eat together, and they discuss the Word. Do you? You think that would break our families in half if we actually had to look each other in the face? Or do you think it may start doing some healing? Because we're comparing our real life chaotic world and everybody in here has one. 
We're comparing our real life chaotic world to the fake Instagram world that we see somebody else's wife post. You are welcome. Because that's good preaching. Our minds are set somewhere else. I've said all of that to make one simple point. You don't have to do a whole lot to sit down at the table with devils. You can sit down on your lunch break. You can sit down in a sanctuary. It's unbelievable. I've had it happen, Brother Miller, that as soon as I finish preaching, somebody come up and give me the score of the game. I'm like, how do you know? Because I know the Lord, ain't, you ain't prophesying that. I, I know the Lord didn't speak that to you. How do you know? Because I was distracted, Pastor. You had to be brave when I was a kid if you wanted to message the cute girl on the front row. Because you had to pass it through several hands to get it to her. Do you like me? Check yes or no. And I'd get the goofy ones that turn around and look at me in the middle of church. If my dad finds out I pass that, he'll whoop my hide. You know what my dad was trying to keep me from doing when I was in church and he'd be preaching and he'd stop preaching and look at me and say, boys, sit down. He wasn't trying to embarrass me, although he really got that accomplished. He was trying to keep me from being distracted. But the further we go, distractions have become a necessary thing in our lives because we keep it with us. Could you imagine sitting in a church service and nobody being able to get a hold of you? That's how we used to have church, believe it or not. It's funny. It's habit. I watch people. They'll, they'll get up and they'll go. And they stick back in their pocket. I'm like, who was so important in the middle of that song that you had to give them a response? Are, are, are you understand what I'm saying? Is there anybody in this house, let's just be honest, that you've been talking to somebody and they start staring at their phone while you're trying to talk to them and you're like, ooh, I'm finna I'm fin hit somebody. Okay, so we're all on the same page, right? How do you think God feels when we get down, Lord, I love you. To, oh, just, just give me one second, Lord. Let me, let me get this real quick. I'll be there in 30 minutes. No, you just started out for a one-hour prayer meeting. But you just got your lunch invitation. Look, how different would your life be if when you got out of that prayer meeting, you texted him back and said, sorry, I missed you at lunch. I was in prayer. Boy, it's tied up in here right now. Whatever is your priority is what you invest in. Come on now. I watch everybody take a picture anymore. I'm like, did you even eat if you don't post it? <laughs> I get tickled when I go to restaurants and I walk by people's table and they're going. 
They're putting filters on their biscuit and gravy. I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. That's good enough. It don't need a filter. Am I helping anybody in here right now? There's something that happens when you begin to think differently about the fact that you're not merging God into your life. But that He has become your life because He is the source of your life. He is the source of your strength. Every good and perfect gift that you have comes from Him. So we don't take breaks in the middle of telling God, thank you. Oh, Lord. Are y'all, are y'all ready to go? About time to leave, isn't it? About time to leave. Somebody tell me it's almost time to get out of here in Jesus' name. Now, here's, here's what I'm trying to get to. Raised with the same miracles. Came out of the same Egypt. Same meat. Same drink. You read it? But with many of them, God was not well pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand, twenty three thousand people. You know where that's found? It's found in Numbers chapter twenty five. Israel was dwelling in Shittim and there. There were some women, Moabites, that the men of Israel began to fall in love with in Mary. I'm fixing to help somebody right here. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you can break the cycle. The Bible said that there was a curse that came on the people of God because the children of Israel, these men, kept sleeping with these Moabitish women. Having illicit affairs with them. And the Bible said Moses stood up. And he said we're going to do something about this. And while he was speaking to the people. The Bible said that while the words were coming out of his mouth. And he was speaking to the children of Israel. That one of the men of Israel brought a Moabitish woman. To the doorway. Think about it now. The preacher is up preaching saying. We got to get this sin out of the church. We got to get this out of our lives. We've got to cease fornication with the Moabites. We got to stop this. And in the middle of the sermon, the Bible said that one of them old boys came walking up with hotty toddy on his elbow. And he left the preaching of the word of God that Moses was giving a warning from God, took that woman into the tent and began to sleep with her. But the Bible said that Phineas stood up. 
Phineas stood up and said, I'm getting ready to break this cycle right now. The man of God stood up and said, we got to stop this. we got to quit this. And a man goes into a tent with another woman. And Phineas, the son of the Kohathite, the son of the priest, he stands up and he gets a spear and he walks into the tent and he thrusts the spear through the man and through the woman. Now, I'm not recommending anybody start thrusting spears. But I'm going to tell you this. If I can say this tonight in, 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 in the presence of mixed company and everybody being adult. When he walked into that tent, he didn't thrust a spear through their head. He didn't thrust a spear through their heart. He thrust a spear through their private parts, both of them at the same time. Because that was the issue that they were dealing with. It was fornication. And Phineas is standing before the people and he says, if we're going to break the cycle, we got to deal with the issue. Jesus did the same thing. You do know that. He said, the law says that if you sleep with another woman, you're to be stoned in the gate. But I say unto you, if a man looks on a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery. I've heard people quote that and say, see, Jesus said you committed adultery just by looking. You better read it again. What he's saying is if you can't control your eyes, you won't say no when she looks back. You've got to fix the issue. Jesus said you need to put a fence around the Torah. You need to get a fence around the law. You need to get some space between you and the law and say this isn't about adultery. This is about looking again. My God, it's tight, but it's right up in here right now. Some of us are trying to figure out what's, what's wrong with this. Why aren't we progressing? Why aren't we having revival? Why isn't this happening? Look, you've got to get a Phineas spirit on you that says, I'm going to be the one, if nobody else does, to break the cycle. I'm not going to stand around and wait for somebody else to pray us into revival and fast us into revival and win the loss. I want it to rest on me. I'm going to be the one that stands up and makes a difference. Can I tell you right now, it only takes one or two that will stand up with conviction in your spirit and say, we're going to break the cycle. My father may have been an adulterer, but I'm not going to be one. My mother may have been a fornicator, but I'm not going to be one. We cannot stand and, and live our lives justified by the failures of the past and by what everybody else did. Well, that's what my grandmother did, my, my grandfather did, and my mother and my father. I want to tell you right now, as much as you love them, you're not going to stand before God with them standing by your side. You're going to stand before God for you all by yourself. And when he looks at you, he's not going to say anything about them. What he wants to know is, do I know you or not? Phineas started the, started the mercy killing, what I'd like to call it. He said, there's only one way to get this problem stopped. You got to kill it. And 23,000 people. That day. Were killed because of fornication. 
Could you imagine? Boy, I'm sure glad the Lord's not judgmental, aren't you? See, some of y'all just missed that right there. God's not judgmental. He's pretty judgmental. Those people that kept sleeping around while the preacher was saying, quit it. 23,000 of them took their last breath in Shittim where they shouldn't have been with those Moabite women. He said what you love and what you invest in and what you spend time with, the principle is that if you love them enough to live with them, you're going to die with them. If you love the world enough to live in it, come on somebody, preach back at me right now. I feel like Brother Poole. I can't get no help up in here. If you love it enough to live with it, you love it enough to die with it. But you can break the cycle by coming in here on a... I know it's not Sunday night. I know the choir didn't sing tonight. I know it's not Sunday morning. It's Wednesday night. Do you know cycles can be broken on Wednesday night when somebody gets sick enough of the sin cycle in your life that you stand up and say, I'm killing it right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> he said, don't commit fornication like they did. 23,000 died. Have you not learned your lesson? That's what he's saying. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, brother. And don't be ignorant. This is how I dealt with them. This is how I'm going to deal with you. Neither let us tempt Christ. Some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Isn't that something? Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Think about that. Now all of these things happen to them for in sample. It's the very same word in the Greek as example that we just used a few minutes ago. He said all of this happened as an example. And they are written for our admonition or our training. All of the sins of our forefathers that were recorded, they were recorded for an example. Somebody say example. And they were there for our learning. Somebody say learning. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now church, this right here will absolutely preach itself, so it's not going to take me a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished. But this verse right here, is one of the most powerful verses I'm convinced in the scripture and it keeps me doing my best to live for God. Let him who thinks go ahead guys who thinks he standeth what's that mean? Listen to what I'm saying. He said don't stand there and say oh I already know that. I've heard this story before. I've heard about the fornication of our fathers. I've heard about the murmuring of our fathers. I get tired, preacher, of hearing the same old thing. He said, let him that thinks he stands listen to what I'm telling you, lest you fall. You know, that's the very same apostle that said, it scares me to death to think that when I myself have preached, 
I preached to everybody else. And I myself could become a castaway. May it keep us on our faces before God that none of us are spiritual enough that we can't be taken into a fall. I've seen the mighty sycamore fall. I've seen the preachers fall. I've seen the mighty women of God fall. I've seen super, super spiritual people fall. I've seen people fall that dance the aisles and speak another tongue. I've seen people fall that run the aisles. I've seen people fall that stood up and preached before thousands of people. And they thought they were invincible. You write it down tonight. You are not invincible from the target of the enemy. He hates your guts. He wants you to fall. He wants you to lose your ministry. He wants you to lose your family. He is a destroyer. This would be a good time to preach this right here. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, roameth to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. Somebody needs to let him know tonight, you may not. You don't have access to my family. You don't have access to my church. You don't have access to my marriage. No, you may not devour me. You're not going to get my ministry. It's not happening, Jack. Let him that thinks he's standing upright turn his ears all the way up and listen to what I'm saying right now. Be careful. You are not so spiritual that you can't fall down. He said, I want you to listen to me. There has been no temptation to overtake a man. Such is common to man. But God is faithful. This is that scripture that's misconstrued and taken out of context all the time. He'll never put more on us than we can bear. God will never put more on us than we can bear. It's not in the scripture. This is as close as it gets. Isn't it funny that it's dealing with temptation? But the funny thing about it, when people start talking about temptation and they read this verse right here, they start dealing with this, we neglect all the other part. He said there was already an example set. These people were tempted and they failed. Now, let's just get real here for a second, folks. Let's do a little math. I understand that 23,000 people died because of fornication. But there was way more than 23,000 that walked into the promised land. Our focus tonight is not the people that have failed. Our focus is that some people learned you can be tempted and still make it. He was saying, don't be like the 23,000. But you need to know that you have never been tempted above what manner that God will reach down when you reach up and say, Lord, this is heavy for me. I don't know if I can do this or not. And he will make a way of escape where there seemed to be no way. You believe that tonight? I know y'all probably scraping up your knees on the concrete at the bottom of the pool in the shallow end tonight, but I'm trying to help somebody. <laughs> there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is. Somebody shout that. You know what that means? You're not the only one that deals with it. I told somebody the other day, 
You can just leave that scripture there. I wasn't trying to be ugly or sound merciless, but if, this is, if you want to see a transparent thing in your pastor, this is it. I get tired of these men that stand up in their congregation, preach truth, and preach truth, and preach truth. Then they fall and they'll say, the temptation was just so great, I eventually gave in. And I want to just look at them and say, like, you're so special. You're the only one that's ever been tempted. These young, these young guys that sleep around and do whatever they want to do and then, then they want to preach. Can I, can I just be real for a second? I'm about done. It ticks me off when these suckers run around, ruin all kinds of little girls' lives, and then want to come marry a virgin girl and be an evangelist. It burns me up. Walk around like you're Hollywood to do and get out there and mess all kinds of people up. Well, don't be like I was. I was tempted when I was in school. You didn't have to be. I'm trying to be sweet. Not every young person has to backslide and have a testimony for us to have a testimony. You don't have to have the story of redemption coming. I thank God for every one of them. And I rejoice in every one of them. But you don't have to be the one that comes home. Be the one that stays home. Pastor, I've fallen. Do you believe God can fix my marriage? Absolutely, I do. But I also believe for the ones that haven't fallen, if you'll let him, he'll keep your marriage. Is that too tough, Brother Bingham? Pretty good. Dude, I'll take that. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that in our lifetime, we are all obligated at some point in our life to actually have to stand up for something that we wanted to do and refused our flesh. I wish the choir was up here. I'd preach to them a little bit. You cannot live your entire life justifying your mistakes by other people that did it. I know 23,000 people died because of fornication. But there were hundreds of thousands that did not die because of fornication. Oh, man. Whenever I get in seasons like that, and I'm, I'm hurrying to a close, I think the old prophet getting in the cave, sucking his thumb by himself, saying, God, I'm the only one. I'm by myself. He said, you ain't the only one. He said, I've got, a, I've got a group of prophets right now that have never, ever bowed their knee. But the enemy will do everything he can in your power to make you believe that you're powerless. You have no options. But the Holy Ghost says, you're going to be tempted, but you can break the cycle. You may be tempted to do what your father did, but you can break the cycle. 
You may be tempted to do what your mother did, but you can break the cycle. The Holy Ghost says you can bear it. You can bear it. Let's stand together. You can bear it. I just, I can feel the wheels turning tonight, and I don't have to preface everything. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I thank God for mercy. And every story of recovery and restoration, and all that's all good and great. But it's kind of like the teenage kid that gets a nice car when they graduate, and the only thing they do is put gas in it. They don't wash it, they don't change the oil, they don't do nothing. By the time they're in their second year of college, it's rattling, falling apart. And they wonder what's wrong with it. If you'll take the time every day of your life to stay sensitive to the Holy Ghost, you may face the biggest temptation you've ever had in your life. Guys, she may be drop-dead gorgeous when she walks up and says hello, but if you got enough Holy Ghost, you can nod your head and say, how you doing, and turn around and keep walking. (laughs) Amen. I believe with all my heart. Everybody in here has got a little something you lean back on, you know. I told somebody the other day, they were talking about temptation. You know, pastors don't get tempted because... You're preachers. I put my britches on the same way you do. And I told him, I said, you know what the devil knows? He knows your vice. He knows what you're weak at. Honest to God, you could bring me, you could bring me a 10-gallon, ga- 55-gallon drum full of marijuana. I got no, I couldn't, I wouldn't want nothing to do with it. You could bring me a five-gallon bucket of oxys. I wouldn't. I don't want to be out of control. I don't want to touch it. I got no desire for that. If you set a, a, a glass of beer in front of me, I might puke on you. But you can rest assured that whatever your weakness is, the devil knows how to work on you. But I want you to look at that word tonight that's up on that screen. It's common to man. Your brother's gone through it and they made it. Yes, some of them bowed their knee. But I've got some that have never bowed their knee and they made it. And God will make a way of escape for you. Aren't you thankful for the work of the Holy Ghost tonight? That when you would have fallen and you would have made a mistake, God reached down and made a way for you. Praise God. Praise God. It may not be a whole lot, but I believe it's sound teaching tonight. I believe it's right that God's got his hand on you, church. God's got his hand on you. We need to quit, we need to quit looking at the exception and start looking at the rule. Because not everybody that walks out comes back. But everybody that stays is still here. And we got to guard our spirits. That we're not the boy that stays home in Luke 15 and gets mad when God restores the one that did leave. I'd hate to stay home and then be lost because I was ugly. About the restoration of somebody else, wouldn't you? I want God to keep my heart right.
Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your precious people. Thank you, God, that your word is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul and spirit of a man. It is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. I pray tonight, God, that good seed would be planted in good soil tonight. Help us to know, Lord, that you are for us and not against us. It is not your good pleasure that we fall. But that we, oh God, stay in communion with you every day. That we walk with you and make the intentional effort to be your children. We honor you tonight and we thank you, Lord, for the price that you paid for us. That should we fall, we can be reconciled. But we don't have to leave the house tonight. We can stay right here at home in Father's house and be blessed. And bring others in that your house may be filled. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. God bless you, church. I love you and appreciate you. Shake hands and be friendly. Greet our guests tonight. Make them welcome. We'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.